Welcome to America's Auto Enthusiast Program. This is Auto World. And now, here's your host, Bob Long. We want to welcome you with open arms. Thank you so much for joining us here for another hour, another edition of Auto World. This is the hour which we get to spend with Dan Watson, the certified lubrication specialist with more than 25 years worth of experience, also one of the largest AMSOIL distributors in all of North America. So get your your lubrication questions ready, your oil questions, and it doesn't have to be about uh, your car or truck. It can be about boats. It can be about motorcycles. It can be about anything that has an engine that requires oil. Telephone-wise, you can get a hold of us at the usual number. It's 855-660-4261. Mackenzie's behind the board taking those calls. And you can also email us up at bob at autoworldradio.com. Right now, let's go to the Auto World guest lines and bring forth the man of the hour, the man who knows more about oil than anybody else that I have ever known or have had the pleasure of working with in the past. He is a certified lubrication specialist, and he's also really uh, such a great communicator here on radio. Let's all welcome Dan Watson. Dan, thank you so much for your time. Well, it's good to be here with you uh, this evening, Bob. And, you know, there was a couple weeks ago I got a chance to ask you a couple questions about um, your favorite car and those kind of things, and it kind of prompted me to want to ask you a couple more, if you don't mind, about a couple different things because, you know, you introduced me and talk about my experience, and <clears throat> I appreciate that and my background a little bit. But uh, you've been doing radio a while, and there's probably some people out there that really don't know too much about Bob Long. So <laughs> I thought I'd take this first segment and ask you a couple questions, if you don't mind. So if you're ready, here we go. How about tell me and the folks, when did you get started in radio? I kind of envision you as a guy almost in high school getting started in radio. If my college, if my high school had had a radio station, I definitely would have started then. But I started as a freshman in college, so at the age of 17, at a small college outside of of Boston called Curry College. And we had a really incredible student-run radio station still going strong today. And when I first decided to go into broadcasting, it was sports that drove me into it. And it wasn't until I first started working at the college radio station that I realized that narrowing my focus towards sports was really going to cut down on my opportunities for employment. But I started at 17, so that was quite a few years ago. Wow, so you you started into my second question, which is I was curious if you were just, uh, you know, kind of my second and third one, if you were doing kind of standard disc jock work or if you actually were, you know, being a host uh, towards things like uh, sports information and when you actually shifted to where you got into automotive. Well, it's it's interesting to say the least, uh, Dan. So sports is what drove me into it, but it was actually music that got me started early in my career and my college radio station had every music format uh, imaginable. So I've done everything from big band and jazz to every type of rock to disco to you name it Uh, and that set me up for working in major market music radio in Boston at a a very young age I worked at a 
what was then a top 40 stage, you call them CHR stations today. I also got to work at a couple of classic rock stations. Uh, and then, unfortunately, my mom got sick, and I had to dial back uh, my hours of, of working on my career and focus on helping uh, my dad and my mom out. She had a rare form of cancer called multiple myeloma. And so uh, I served as a account executive selling advertising and a disc jockey from time to time on a, uh, on a Boston station. It wasn't until 1991 that through a series of circumstances I was happened to be on the air when uh, the radio station I was working at was seized by the IRS. <laughs> so <laughs> That's got to be that, something. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the last song I played on it w- was an old song called The Best Things in Life are Free. So as the, <laughs> as the IRS were... Sealing the place up. That was the last song to air on that station. I got an opportunity to work at the National Sports Network in Boston, which provided programming in the overnights for what was then 1991, a a new format, all sports. And this is before ESPN had 24-hour Fox or any of the umpteen others that are out there. So the company I work for provided sports programming from 9 o'clock at night to 9 o'clock in the morning. So I used to do a sports trivia show at 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, my goodness. And I, was, <laughs> I was on all these sports stations around the country. And, of course, my neighbors and friends just thought that I uh, slept all day and never worked at all. But uh, I, was, I was doing that. And after about a year or so, that network morphed into a talk network, which I was one of the founders of, called Talk America Radio Networks. And in the beginning, I did uh, an issues of the day type talk show. And it wasn't until doing that for a while that I said to myself, you know, I've really got to find a niche that I can talk about that I love to talk about. So what's the other thing besides music and besides radio that I love and that is cars having started reading the motor trends and the car and drivers you know about at the age of 10 or so I started subscribing to those magazines and reading all that stuff so I started Auto World Out as a part-time show on Talk America in different time slots from 1992 to 1995 and it was in June of 1995 that Auto World debuted at 5 o'clock Eastern Time on Sunday, and it stayed there ever since. It has expanded twice, first to two hours around, uh, around the year 1999 or 2000, and then expanding to three hours in uh, about 2004, 2005. And at my peak, I was doing seven hours of Auto World, and I was also doing... Uh, Motor Trends show, four hours per weekend, and done a bunch of other automotive hosting shows. Did a show for the Haggerty Classic Car folks called Inside Classic Cars. Did a car buying show called Deals on Wheels. And I did a show called Motor News Weekly as well. So I was very fortunate to merge my two passions together, broadcasting and automobiles. And and I've had the, the honor of 
being able to interview a lot of automotive icons and legends and you know the folks that I grew up reading became my friends and uh, these legendary automotive journalists like David E. Davis Jr. or uh, Brock Yates or William Jeans or Choba Cheddar or Gene Jennings, Gene Lindemood, uh, Don Sherman, he's another one still going today. All these guys became my friends. John Davis started the Motor Week television show back in 1982. He became my friend. And then I got to interview the icons, the Carol Shelbys of the world and the Steve Salines and the the designers of so many cars and uh, got to meet Henry Ford II and Henry Ford III. So I, I've been fortunate to interview everybody from rap stars into cars to uh, <laughs> to members of the Ford family. So that kind of covers the gamut. Well, when we come back, i got one last question that's just real quick to ask you, So, and then we'll move on to some lubrication stuff. That sounds great. Thanks for asking. This is a real thrill for me to talk about again. We'll put it in neutral, take a pit stop, and then more of Auto World around the bend. Broadcasting from the middle of Corvette Boulevard and Stingray Avenue, this is Auto World with your host, Bob Long. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for being here. Dan Watson, CEO of the Lube Page, has the microphone, and we're having a little bit of fun here. Dan's asking me some questions about my uh, my radio career, and Dan, this is a, a really fun segment here. Thanks so much for thinking of doing this. Well, I was going to ask you this last question. It's kind of off the wall, but I'm sure you're familiar being a radio guy. You ever watch the comedy uh, sitcom uh, WKRP in Cincinnati? Absolutely. Yeah, and I was going to ask you if you ever experienced any. Of course, it sounds like you worked at all big-name radio stations. You didn't get off the beaten path too far. But if you ever worked at any place that was uh, kind of crazy like WKRP, yeah, the answer is yes, absolutely. And even at the major market stations that I worked at in in Boston and in Providence, I mean, there's an element of that in in every single radio station. The uh, unusual personalities and the less Nesmans of the world and the uh, Dr. Johnny Fevers of the world. Uh, definitely, uh, it's it's all part of being. Uh, in the radio business, and it's a thing that in recent times is uh, a, a little bit been cut out by the fact that so many large radio stations these days are controlled by big corporations, so they've taken a little of that uh, funkiness out, but that funkiness I have definitely been around and been a part of, so uh, it is not far from the truth, WKRP in Cincinnati. <laughs> well, I know that in my limited uh, radio exposure, just, you know, in the shows I've done and around Orlando and so forth, is that it seems like in each one of the radio stations, they're, they're full-time or they're people, I'll run into at least one character who is uh, true to form, uh, you know, uh, as they say, uh, marching to the beat of a different drummer. <laughs> Anyway, so good. Well, I like hearing this information about your uh, career. I think that your listeners ought to hear it off and on because uh, you're probably uh, 
you are a rare individual in the fact that there's such a history of walking through with so many people that have been involved or that have been celebrities within the automotive world. And that's why it's auto world. It's not just a, a, the technical side, but it's the actual business and the celebrity and the everything to do with the uh, as you could call it, the showmanship of automotive of the automotive world working, you've been involved with a lot of those people, and it's good for the listeners to know that when you're on the air, they're listening to somebody that knows what he's talking about. He's been around all these things for years, and they can pick up some good information about what's going on in the automotive industry. And I think when you comment on it, uh, your comments are uh, right on right on the spot. They're they're well targeted. Oh, thank you, my friend. Thank you. I really appreciate it. and We'll have to do it again down the road, no doubt about it. Well, if you want to, we'll, we've got a couple of questions to answer here. Our listeners, and uh, they have unique questions about oil at different times. I don't know where they come up with them, but I enjoy answering them. Absolutely. Juan in El Paso, Texas, uh, he writes a, a note to you, Dan. Dan, you have convinced me synthetic oil is better than conventional, but it simply costs too much. Is it really worth the price? Well, you know, one, normally you think I would take some kind of offense of Juan's question, but Juan's question is, is spot on. I mean, let's think about this. We have to be wise when we go to buy things for our cars or buy cars, you know, when somebody would call in and talk about uh, a car that you've reviewed, I mean, you're going to try to tell them what you found good and some of the things that were detractors from the car that you drove and test drove. And and um, so people need to think analytically and they need to think uh, hard about when they're going to spend their money and make sure they do it right. So I appreciate uh, Juan's question. And here's the truth. Um, synthetic oil is worth the money. But it depends upon the individual's priorities. In other words, I can tell you that you're going to get your money's worth and you're going to get what you pay for. But if somebody's not really, really the kind of person who thinks that they better make sure they got the best tires and the best oil and that their car is well manufactured and it's, it's all its systems are in good shape and it's it's a jam up safe car to drive. If, if you don't think like that, looking for the best and what you want for your automobile, then quite frankly, synthetic probably isn't for you because um, synthetic is going to appeal to the uh, very deliberate, technical-minded individual who wants to make sure that they're doing the very best they can to keep their car running in tip-top condition for as long as it'll run. And those type of quality-minded people we'll see the quality that's in synthetic. Now, the price, when we look at it, and we say, oh, wait a minute, this is pretty expensive, da 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 We've talked about this before, and it's one of the reasons why I try to promote AMSOIL synthetics to people to understand them. AMSOIL came at this from a direction uh, they started in 1971 with the idea that if you manufactured a top-quality product and that you could prove that it would allow you to go longer or more miles between your drain intervals, that it would be economical and a superior product. And it is. And, in fact, the, one of the largest manufacturers of lubricants in the world, Mobile 
oil company has stepped right up to the plate and said, hey, we're going to make a mobile annual oil change, which is good for one year or 20,000 miles. Whoa, what a concept. You know, we've been doing one year or 25,000 miles since 1971 in AMS oil. Now, when you go to buy that mobile annual change oil, it's going to cost equal to or more than AMS oil costs. So it costs money to make quality products. You have to expect to pay the price for a quality product. But quick math here without going into rocket science. If you do an oil change every 3,000 miles and you spend $3 a quart for oil, then if you did an oil change every 12,000 miles, that would be four oil changes with the oil that cost you $3. So you just spent $12 on oil versus whatever it cost you for the 12000 Now, Amzol's intermediate oil, their XL oil is called, it's good for 12,000 miles or one year, and that oil sells for about $9 a quart retail. Okay, so $9, folks, is less than $12. You just spent $12 on oil to do four oil changes to go 12,000 miles. If you did one with XL, you'd spend $9. Now, if you want to go further, we go to 25,000 miles with the Signature Series oil. And we'll just say the Signature Series oil is going to sell for $12. But we do eight of those 3,000-mile oil changes at $3 a quart. would be $24 for oil versus the $12 for the Amsoil Signature Series. So it's simply not more expensive. It's less expensive to use Amsoil Extended Drain Oil. Excellent. Why don't we uh, put it in neutral here and... Take a quick time out, and when we come back on the other side, we've got more questions piling up here for Dan, and uh, you can be one of those people with a question at 855-660-4261, Bob at AutoWorldRadio.com. And now, back to the show with the highest octanes, AutoWorld and your host, Bob Long. We're back live with CEO of the Lou Page, thelupage.com, and we uh, just answered a question about uh, uh, the price of synthetic oil. Is it really worth the price? And Dan, I think you you did a really good job in in explaining the reasons why. And the other thing that I can say to listeners, having seen this, if you see an engine torn down after a hundred thousand miles and you look at one that ran nothing but synthetic and you look at the other one which ran nothing but conventional oil the wear difference is nothing but remarkable well it's true i mean the product is superior it becomes uh, a financial question or economic question whichever we want to look at it to some people and so let me just add one thing here quickly and that for our listeners, and that is that uh, there's a program through AMSOIL which is called the Preferred Customer Program. It's similar to being a member of uh, SAMS or Costco where you're a, uh, you have a membership, you pay an annual membership fee, and you buy everything at a discount, which is near wholesale prices. Now, that's a great program. I have several hundred people that I've set up to do that over the years that use that program. 
And if you have an interest in that, and I think you should if you expect to buy Amsoil, if you're going to buy more than $100 worth of Amsoil in a year, the program becomes cost-effective. So go to thelubepage.com. That's thelubepage.com. And you'll find links and ways to uh, sign up as a preferred customer or call me at 800 370-2986. We'll take care of you, set you up as a preferred customer so that you can buy at reduced prices. And Amsoil, not too long ago, initiated uh, free shipping for orders that are $100 or more. So this is a very, very good program for people who want to reduce the cost of their synthetic oil and also buy the best synthetic oil while they're doing it. So it's a program that nobody else offers in the automotive uh, oil industry, so uh, we're pretty proud of it. We got probably, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we're approaching a million preferred customers in the, across North America. So something you ought to look into if you truly want to uh, work the best economic angle you can, both with extended drains and reduced prices. So. Hey, that's my pitch for that. Now let's move on to another question. <laughs> yeah, we got a question out of our Fresno, California affiliate station, and the person writes, My boys like to ride dirt bikes. Uh, these little bikes really take a beating. What does Amsoil offer to help keep these things going? I don't think I can get the boys back to back off how, on how hard they drive. So they're, they're really pushing these, these dirt bikes. Dan, what advice would you have for this uh, gentleman? Sure. Well, you know, dirt bikes have something in common with boats. They have two speeds, either wide open or idle. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I don't even know how they stay on those things the way they ride them around. It's crazy to me, but they do it. And... Um, Here's what Amsoil offers for these bikes. We we make some, really some of the best two-stroke oil, synthetic two-stroke oil in the industry, but specifically for these incredibly hard-driven, pushed bikes, we have an oil called Interceptor and another one called Dominator. Dominator is a little bit higher performance racing oil, and Interceptor is for these extremely hard-driven type situations. So either one of those two-stroke oils would work in these bikes. Now, there are some, believe it or not, Bob, I can't hardly believe it, these little tiny engines, but there are some now in four-strokes that are small enough to put on these dirt bikes. So there are a few four-stroke dirt bikes out there. If you got one of those, then we've got some oils that are typically recommended for the ATV, UTV community, but they will work well in a four-stroke uh dirt bike. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it when somebody told me, I had someone asking about this, they had a four-stroke dirt bike. I'm thinking, aren't those kind of small to be four-stroke engines yeah. on a dirt bike? But hey, <laughs> you leave it long enough, those th these engineers and people will, will make it happen. It seems impossible. Next thing you know, they're driving them all over the place. So, But, but quite frankly, two-stroke oil is a difficult lubricating what we call regime because anytime you have gasoline and oil mixed together, it usually condemns the oil. 
but we have to intentionally do this and then still get lubrication out of the oil. So it takes uh, a different type of chemistry, and it takes uh, a lot of experience in getting these two-stroke oils where they are uh, constructed in such a way that they give maximum protection and not interfere with the uh, power of the, the the motor. Because, you know, Bob, oil in the mix will displace gasoline. So the oil is not burning. It's going in there to do its lubricating thing. So you only get so much fuel into that chamber to make power. And if you have to have a whole bunch of oil in there because the oil is so weak in its ability to protect that it displaces a lot of gasoline, you you lose a lot of power. And that's why the racers and everybody all all go to high-performance synthetic two-stroke because you can run it with a much leaner mixture, like 100 to 1, where the others are running sometimes 40 and 32 to 1 to try to lubricate the engine. So you get that oil backed off a little. You get more fuel in that cylinder. You get more power. So hopefully that will answer their question, and we can uh, move on to the next one. All right. Sounds good. Listening on KPAM in uh, Portland, Oregon is Phil, and Phil owns a Ford Focus, a 2012-2013. His owner's manual says that he should use Motorcraft 5W20 blend synthetic. My question is, what if I use full synthetic? Would it damage my car in the long term? I can understand his hesitancy here. Dan, what do you think would be best for Phil? Well, the best thing to do would be to move to full synthetic and forget the blended stuff. (laughs) Here's the problem with the blend. I'm not saying that you can't mix them together and achieve some type of improvement in performance, but the problem is is that it is so unknown what these blends really are. People immediately think that a... Semi-synthetic blend means that it's half synthetic and half petroleum. That's what would come to the mind, just, you know, subconsciously. The truth is it could be 5% synthetic and qualify as a blend. So you don't actually know for sure what you're buying, and I never like to buy like that. I like to know what I'm getting, and if I think it's worth it, I'll pay the price for it. But I don't like having, you know, a really... Uh, unknown of what it is that I'm buying. So I don't trust blends. I don't think they're worth the money. And what I would tell any customers is just if you're gonna, you want better import, you want better performance than what you get from a, let's just say the best petroleum you can buy, then just move up to a uh, good quality synthetic engine oil and go for the gusto. Don't stop at some mixture of of a blend because you can make your own blend. You know, buy some top quality uh, petroleum and when you make your oil change, do two quarts of that and two quarts of synthetic and you got yourself a blend. At least you know it's half and half instead of uh, maybe 5% synthetic and 95% petroleum which and you're paying higher prices for it. So I don't trust those things. That's my opinion, as they say, and I'm sticking to it. Very good. When we come back on the other side, more questions for Dan, and you can get in on the action at 
660-4261. Mackenzie's running the board, so you can uh, talk to Mackenzie. Mackenzie can get you on the air with us, or if you want to leave a question, that's fine. Hey, it's Billy F. Gibbons from ZZ Top, and you're listening right here to Auto World. Dan Watson joins us. He is, of course, the CEO of BluePage.com. Check that out. Dan's got also loads of videos on YouTube, and you can follow those just by hopping on over to the Lube page as well. And uh, we're taking your questions, fielding your calls, 855-660-4261. We've got a question from Tom in Atlanta. And what Tom would like to know is, uh, Dan, do you recommend oil additives, and are they worth the money? Boy, we could reserve a complete hour and talk about this. (laughs) Yeah. We won't, I promise. But, uh, no, if you buy a decent quality motor oil, you should not need additional additives. Now, there's a lot of oil out there that's not worth much, so maybe if you buy one of these uh, additives, like the ones that have been around a long time, like maybe uh, STP or Lucas or one of these, then it's probably got some additional additives that might beef up your weak oil to where it can perform where it should have performed to begin with. But the truth is, if you have a good quality engine oil, something like uh, Amsoil or Mobile or Castrol or one of these engine oils, they're formulated to do everything your engine needs, and you shouldn't need an additive. Now, when you buy, uh, you know, uh, some ABC or XYZ unknown oil that you don't know anything about and never seen it before but it's a good cheap deal to buy it, then that oil probably could use some help and some additives might do it. Um, so depends upon your situation. Now, there are some additives which are simply uh, they do a good job of, of taking your money, and they seem to show back up when they disappear. They'll come out as some kind of term, and I'm not specifically saying that this is one, but something like greased lightning or you know, some other type of fancy name, and they'll say they're PTFE uh, additives. These are the Teflon-type additives, and uh, that's really been debunked fairly well that the Teflon additives are not uh, a good thing for your vehicle. Uh, People will swear that they see some difference in them, but there was a study that I read where the U.S. Army tried the, the the Teflon additives and that were on the market at the time. And um, the result was that they they tried it in a lot of engines, a lot of different applications, trucks and everything. And they had about a 5% engine failure rate, and it was based upon the, this, this Teflon that's this ground up pretty small, but it managed to clog up some oil galleries and starve some bearings for oil and wiped out some bearings and was a pretty expensive thing. So the Army's the result of their large field study was that they couldn't find really anything positive, but they found a whole lot of negatives with failed engines. So I don't 
recommend additives. Now, here's here's something for people to understand. You're flying on your own. There's no uh, ground control. Uh, there's nothing that tells you in our marketplace whether an additive is worth anything. They are not certified. They are not governed. The API does not claim them. None of the consumer protection agencies claim them. It is literally the old term laissez-faire, buyer beware. You're the one that will have to determine whether this stuff is any good. Now, every once in a while, uh, there will be a suit by one of the major oil companies suing some of these people to uh, prove that what they say is true. And when they can't prove it, usually what happens is is that forces them to shut down and go out of business. But lo and behold, within a year, uh, some offshore corporation uh, with a new name for some terrific oil additive starts up on the Internet selling another new additive, same stuff under a different name, with a different corporation formed in the Turks and Caicos or some such place. And here we go again, and all it ends up happening is people end up forking over money and more money and more money until the people finally get forced to prove that what they say, they can't prove it, so they declare bankruptcy, go out of business, and a year or so later come back up under a different name. So, you know, I'm just, I'm sort of, you could say, jaded on additives. I haven't seen much effect. But now I will not argue that companies like Lucas and uh, years ago, I think they're still around, SDP, they made additives that were, were good additives. But like I said, un- unless you're buying inferior oil, you, the additive isn't going to show much of an improvement in the current oil that you've got. So we'll just let it go at that, Bob. Very well done, Dan. Let's uh, take a question from Roger in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, Roger writes to you, I never see any recommendations to change the rear end oil. Is this a fill for life product? And a good question, Roger. It's a good question. Now, let me first start with the end of his question. I don't believe in fill for life products, period. Okay. That, that's just, you see a car company comes out and says, oh, this transmission is filled for life, this automatic transmission. And then you start searching and you can't find a single uh, transmission fluid manufacturer that makes fluid that agrees with that statement. So whose fluid did they put in there? Because there's not any of the companies that will back it up, uh, Mobile, Anzo, Castro. Nobody's going to back up that you can put a plug in this transmission, fill it up, and it's going to drive for 300,000 miles on the same oil that it started with. Nobody. So I don't know what this fill for life really means. I thought of it in this way, Bob. Maybe this is how you define it. This is filled for life because you run this until the transmission breaks down, and that's the end of life. Okay, maybe that's what they mean. But Mm -hmm. as far as the rear end, here's a good rule of thumb. If you're running standard gear loop from the factory, you really should be considering in your uh, when possible, you should change this stuff about every 50,000 miles. Now, if you change yourself to a high-quality, full-synthetic gear lube made by uh, a variety of companies, Anzol, Mobile, uh, Castrol, somebody making a full-synthetic gear lube, most of the time that's going to 
kick that up to 100,000 miles between services. But it is, what are they, reverse time, the red-headed stepchild? I mean, it's just an area that nobody pays attention to on these, these differentials, these rear ends. And, folks, you need to pay attention to it because I've been involved with people who have had to fix these things. Now, it's a pickup truck rear end on a 2,500 uh, diesel-powered pickup, but by the time they fixed the rear end, it was $2,800. Okay, there are gears in there that uh, are expensive. You're better off if you if you really wipe one out to see if you can pick up a good one from a junkyard because if it went in the junkyard and it was working, if you bring it out and uh, drain the oil and, and do some flush and then bring it back up, you can probably get some good service out of it. But when you have to fix one with new parts, whoa, it's expensive. And these drives are under tremendous uh, load. I mean, look at the size in some of these cars. They're, they literally are a pumpkin. They're not bigger than a, a pie plate, you know, in diameter, and then spread that out. They hold about two quarts of oil. And you're, you're cranking this thing down the road with these gears, and they get really hot. Uh, a number of years back in the, in the Ford Mustangs, they got – Rear ends were getting so hot that they were melting the uh, uh, anti-lock brake sensors on them. Okay, so, I mean, they get, this is something to pay attention to. And, uh, you know, most people don't, and they wonder why they start hearing whining noises and sometimes clunking when they go from forward to reverse and all kinds of things. And it's because, hey, there's a set of gears back there screaming, saying, give me some new lube. I'm dying back here. You know, so um, fifty thousand with conventional, hundred thousand with a quality synthetic uh, gear lube, and that should kind of be the rule of thumb for it. Let's see if we can get the last one in, Bob. Yeah, let's uh, see if we can do that. Let's see if we can grab this one from Portland. Logan writes: Is it expensive to become an Amsoil dealer, and who should I talk to? Well, we know who you should talk to. <laughs> <laughs> You Call me, Logan. I'll set you up. So here's the thing, and we only got a few seconds. The Amsoil business opportunity is an excellent business opportunity with very low upfront costs. Just got to be careful. Maybe we'll finish talking about this next week. Absolutely, but give out your 800 number just to be on the safe side. Yes, 800 is. Uh, oh wait a minute, what is it? 2986 That's the end of it. So <laughs> anyway, that's it. All right, thank you, my friend. Thanks All right, do thanks, it for Bob. this hour. All right, bye bye.